Good morning. Is anybody else freezing? Yeah, just so you guys know, we do turn the heat on, I promise. We turn it on the moment we get here, but the uh, people who own this building, in order to save money, keep it set pretty low and there's no one here, which we cannot fault them for. Well, before I begin, I'd like to introduce myself. Chris just did. He told you I'm David, and, and he said I was a man after God's own heart. Thank you for that, Chris. That was very kind. I was going to wish uh, somebody a happy birthday. I know Aaron Garber, you've got a birthday coming up this week, so happy birthday to you. I want to embarrass you by singing. I also want to embarrass myself by singing to you. Well, uh, my name is David. As Chris told you, I am married to the lovely Taylor. Those who have been here before probably know that because every time I speak, I tell you that, and that's because I am so proud to be married to my lovely wife. I'm an electrician by trade. Well, sort of. I'm a telecommunications technician. As far as most people would be concerned, I'm an electrician. It's a little different. Only actual electricians and other people in my trade would really know the difference. I work on commercial electronic systems, life safety systems, fire alarms, security cameras. Basically, if it has electrons flowing through it, or in the case of fiber optics, photons flowing through it, we work on it. So I, I throw in the fiber optic thing because a lot of people get glassy-eyed when they say fiber optics, and they're like, oh, what's that? And There's a little bit of a pun in there. If you know anything about fiber optics, you'll get the pun. This light goes over glass, glassy, I, never mind. All right, so <laughs> all the stuff that I just told you guys about, um, I really enjoy working on it. I am a big nerd. Rather, I have nerd-like tendencies. Uh, I've done all this stuff before I had this job, at least a lot of it, and I, I really like doing that. I like working with my hands. I like fixing things. I like building things. I like tinkering. Uh, I really like gadgets, and I really, really like LEDs. And uh, there's a small cluster of people up here laughing because I talk about them far more than I should. But when I'm doing that sort of stuff, I'm in my happy place. And speaking of my happy place, my happy places include, other than this, of course, uh, Lowe's, Menards, and I have a newfound love for Home Depot. My idea of a date night would be to go look at tools or building materials at these places. My wife, Taylor, not so much. To that note, my wife Taylor and I have been married coming up on four years. We enjoy going out to dinner and movies. We like comedies, romantic comedies and action movies. She enjoys decorating our house and spending time with her friends as, as well as I do. And she's one of the most creative people I know, and she has the biggest heart to see your kids and the people around you come to know Jesus. And that's one of the things I just love the most about her, and I adore her for, is her heart to share Jesus. And uh, one time she... Uh, when she was having her wisdom teeth removed, she was on the way home, and she's not going to be very excited that I shared the story. But I won't show you the video, so I won't be in the doghouse too much. She was on the way home, and she was still under the anesthesia, or whatever it is they knocked her out with. And she was kind of loopy. And if any of you have ever had your wisdom teeth taken out, you probably know what I'm talking about. And she's on the way home, and she's got a little bit of blood on her face still. And she's looking in the mirror, and she's like, what? Why do I have blood on my face? Did I eat somebody? She's getting really <laughs> upset. And her mom's there just trying to comfort her. And, and then, th this, is, this is where it gets actually kind of good. She looks out the car door and she sees a guy walking in the street. And she starts crying. And her mom's like, what's wrong? And she goes, he needs to know Jesus. He needs to know Jesus. And she tries to open the car door and get, while her mom's driving down the highway. And <laughs> she just gets really emotional over the fact that this man might not know Jesus. So that's my wife. Uh, we have a little baby girl, Ava. 
For all you who are confused and you didn't know that we had kids, well, no need to fear. Ava's not human. Her, her birth parents were both dogs, so there's that. Um, I think I have a couple pictures. Yep, there she is. And I had to show you some puppy photos because who can't? Come on, guys. Okay. And then the last one's just absolutely adorable. Okay. Yep. I showed you pictures of her before, but they weren't of when she was a puppy, and no one gave me the awe. And I'm like, come on, she's so cute. <laughs> so there's that. You guys know a little bit about me now, just a glimpse, but in a nutshell, that kind of sums up who I am. And now that you know a little bit about me, I wanted to share a little bit about the past year of my life and what it's been for Taylor and me. In August, our family was devastated by the loss of Taylor's grandmother. Grandma Zook was truly a woman after God's heart, and she was a great role model for Taylor's family, and she was Taylor's best friend. She was one of the only people, if not the only person, to support Taylor's dream to be in ministry. And when Taylor was hurting, she could go to her grandma for support. So Taylor received a phone call that her grandmother had fallen and was hurt, and her dad and Taylor rushed to the hospital in Bloomington, and they made it there while she was still alive, but she wasn't doing very well. And Taylor called me hysterical, and I'm at work, so I left work and I headed there, and what had happened was she had fallen and suffered internal injuries, and by the time the doctors got to her, it was irreversible. It was beyond recovery. So Taylor's family and myself, we were in the hospital with Grandma Zook as she took her last breath on earth and stepped into eternity. Seeing the hurt in my wife's eyes, seeing what she was going through was so hard for me. And while still mourning the loss of Grandma Zook, we received a call just a few weeks later that Taylor's grandfather, Smitty, had gone to be with Jesus as well. And my heart broke for my hurting wife because I knew there was little I could do to console her. For me, Taylor's grandparents, the, the loss was more difficult because of what it did to Taylor and her family. I wasn't very close to either of her grandparents, and I, I loved them both, but I, I didn't have the relationship that she did. So the hurt for me was the hurt of seeing my wife, my better half, of seeing her hurting so much and knowing that there's very little that I could do about it. Seeing your wife or someone you love in that much pain it's almost the worst thing that you can experience. And until that point, I hadn't had any experience with true grief and loss. And, and as a man, and as I told you earlier, my natural reaction is to fix things. When there's a problem, I want to fix it. I want to make it better. And, and what is it that I'm trying to fix at this point? Well, it's, it's a broken heart. And I'm not talking about the, the cliche version of a broken heart that they talk about in pop songs, not Demi Lovato or or any of those other songs where they're talking about that. I'm talking about a physical broken heart, the rupture that occurs when part of your heart's removed by the loss of a loved one or devastating news. And then in case that's not bad enough, while your heart's still ripped open and bleeding, another part gets ripped out. That's what I'm talking about. And as her husband, I want nothing more than to help her and fix that, but I knew that I could not. It couldn't be fixed by anything I said, nothing that I could do, no amount of hugs or kisses or gently spoken words, holding her in my arms, crying with her, letting her cry on my shoulder. Nothing could fix it. Nothing could heal what she was feeling. It seemed that even prayer didn't have a consoling effect. It seemed that in those moments, the only thing we could do as a couple was hurt and grieve. And as we went through that grieving process, we learned that that there needs to be a time for grieving when you have a loss. So this brings me to today's hero of the Bible, 
And if you haven't guessed it yet, let me introduce you to Job. Now, interesting fact about Job, the J sound was not in the original Hebrew language. It was more of a, a sound that would sound like a Y, so his name would have been Job, or I'm going to put a little bit of like a Job, Job. But um, I, I'm not going to go there because uh, I think it's going to be really funny if I try to say that every time. So we're just going to call him Job because we're in America and that's what we do. So if you could turn in your Bibles with me to Job chapter 1. We're going to do a little bit of scripture reading today. You guys ready for this? Do you need to like stand up and do jumping jacks or anything? I was backstage jumping around trying to get the blood going because I'm like, I am so cold. I'm doing a little better now. These lights help. So turn with me in your Bibles to Job chapter 1. If you don't have your Bibles, they are on top of it today. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. So that this man was the greatest of all people of the East. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed gods in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord, saying, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him and around his household? And around all that he has on every side. You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, that, now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabians came and raided and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another man came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another man came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and raided the camels and took them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still Speaking, another came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, 
and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. So I'm seeing a few parallels in the story from Job. Job was a man who feared God, and the Bible says he was blameless. And not to say that I'm blameless, but I know that my wife and I, we have a fear and a reverence for God. Job served the Lord as do Taylor and myself to our best abilities. And just like Job is receiving this bad news, time after time after time, before he has time to heal, more news comes in of loss. Just like losing Taylor's grandmother and then so shortly after losing her grandfather. And at this point, I can say that my wife and I can relate to what Job was feeling, and I'm sure many of us here have gone through a loss or a hardship where we can relate to that feeling, where it feels like everything that can go wrong is going wrong, and that the world seems to come to a stopping point. From the low note of losing two loved ones last year and the devastation that that had on Taylor's family and on my wife, we were very excited to find out that we would be expecting our firstborn child. I didn't know what to expect with this. My emotions were kind of rising up, and at first it didn't seem real, but as, as time went on, I started to get a little more excited. I was going to be a dad. At first, I didn't say much about it, but as the weeks went on, and it built, and it seemed to become more and more real, the excitement built, and I couldn't keep it in anymore. I was sharing with family and friends the exciting news. I would tell people at the grocery store. I'd tell clients I barely knew, and, and all of them had the same reaction. They, they shared my excitement, and it was a very exciting time for me. The day before Thanksgiving, I called my father and grandmother, and I told them the news, and uh, they were so excited for me. And then Thanksgiving came, and we went over to my mother's house uh, for Thanksgiving for lunch, and I told my family, as I was praying, I told my family that we were expecting, and they were all very, very excited for us. And I remember telling my grandparents and how excited they were to hear the news. And then we go to Taylor's uh, family side for Thanksgiving in the evening, and, and Taylor wasn't feeling very well, and she was getting a little worried, and she thought that something might be wrong, and uh, she called her doctor, and they had a doctor on call who, who so graciously called us back so quickly, and uh, we had had some blood work done the weeks leading up to it and the days leading up to this time, and, and uh, he was able to pull the test results, and he, in fact, confirmed that uh, we had lost our baby. So we're on Thanksgiving, and we're trying to express gratitude for everything God's done for us, and, and we find this point that we just lost our baby boy. So let's continue in chapter 2. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. It sounds just like chapter 1. And the Lord again said to Satan, From where do you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? And he still holds fast to his integrity, even though you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand. 
but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, and he took for himself a broken piece of pot, pottery, and he would scrape his boils with it. Can you imagine the pain that he's going through? His, his skin is breaking open, and the only thing he can do to kind of help is, is to take broken glass and, and scratch himself with it. And I lost my spot. There it is. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. She's a really big encourager, you can see here. <laughs> but he said to her, I don't know that I would say this, um, but it's Job, so I mean, bring it on. You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? And all this Job still did not sin with his lips. So at this point, he's not only lost his family, as if that's not bad enough, and all of his stuff, and all of his worldly possessions, but now he's losing his health. And basically, God removed his protective covering and said, Satan, do with him as you please, just don't kill him. So, so Job's going through this very difficult time. Now, chapter 2 continues, and this is really cool because it talks about Job's friends and what they do. So Job chapter 2, verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one of them from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite, for they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and comfort him. And when they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, they lifted their voices and wept, and each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head towards heaven. So they sat down with him on the ground for seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw his grief was very great. Now this is a moment from Job's friends that we can learn. They went to him and for seven days and seven nights didn't say word because they knew that words couldn't help in Job's time of loss. I think that's something that we can take from that. When Taylor's grandmother passed, her family asked me to officiate the funeral, and I had never done it before, so I did some research trying to figure out what that looks like and what that meant and, and what, what words can you say in a time when there is a loss that is, is unfathomable for someone who's not experiencing it. What words could I say to make it better? What could I say to help them? Because in that time, they were expecting to hear something. So there is a time where you do need to speak. But there's also a time like this where words cannot suffice to comfort and loss. Some of the things that people said to us uh, during the loss of our grandparents and then the loss of our child, uh, specifically with the loss of our baby Asher, aren't you glad it happened early? And, and hear me out, I know that people said some of this stuff with the best of intent, but I'm just trying to equip you when stuff like this happens in the future, what, what we can say to help people feel better. Aren't you glad dot, 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 th that's never something to say when someone is still in mourning. Someone told my wife, at least you know you can get pregnant because some people can't. And while, yes, we are thankful that m my wife has the ability to get pregnant and that we have that ability during the time of this loss, that's not what we wanted to hear. We got this one a lot, and I'm, I'm sure you guys have heard this in times of loss. Well, at least you know that this person is in heaven. 
People said that to us almost immediately following the loss of our baby and, and following the loss of Taylor's grandmother. People told us it happened for a reason. Um, you don't know the reason. God has a plan. And all that is true, and we know that all that is true. And God is good, and God is sovereign, and I won't doubt that. But in the time of unimaginable loss, those words just really don't help. And again, I know that people's hearts in this were good, but sometimes words just don't suffice, and Job's friends got that. Now, following this event, I did have some people ask me what they could say to help. This is weeks later as, as we've had time to heal, and not that we're completely over it, but, but a few weeks have passed, and I had people ask, what can we say in a time like this? In an event of unfathomable loss and hurt and suffering, what can we say? And I think the thing that meant to most of us, from people who hadn't been there, we had some friends who had gone through the same loss who were comforting us, and it seemed like they knew what to say because they had experienced it and they could comfort us. But f for most people who didn't understand what we were going through, the only words that we could say or we could hear from them that would really help were two words, I'm sorry. So if you're wondering what to say in the time of loss, what can you say when you don't know what words to say? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry for your loss. Let that sink in for just a moment. Sometimes the silence can be awkward. And as humans, we think that every moment has to be filled with something. But 1 Kings tells us that God speaks in the stillness and in the silence. Don't be afraid of the silence because sometimes your presence for someone who's going through that pain, your presence and the silence is all that they need. Following all this that happened to us, we found ourselves doing what happened in the next few chapters of Job. So the beginning of Job tells the story of what happened to Job and the end of it kind of wraps up the story. But in the middle, you've got 30-some chapters of what happens to Job's friends and him while he's going through the suffering. And it, it, it seems like they started out strong in chapter 2, and they started out mourning with him the way that he needed to, to have that. But then they start doing this thing where they're blaming him, and they're blaming God, and they're pointing fingers, trying to say, well, why would God do this to you if you're a good man? And so they, they try to point out things in his life that he needs to work on and saying that it's his fault that God's doing this to him. So they're going back and forth and blaming, and when, when they see that Job is uh, beyond reproach, they say, well, it must be God. It must be that since you're not a bad person, God must be unjust. And that is just the lie that Satan would like you to believe when you're going through hardship, that if you're a good person, nothing bad can happen to you unless there's a God who is unjust and who doesn't care. Or they take it the other end of the spectrum and say, well, you're not a good person. You're doing this because of sin in your lives. And Satan would love nothing more than for you to think those things, to think that I'm bad and that's why this is happening to me, or to think that I'm good but God is unjust, and that is just not the case. People often want to know why bad things happen to seemingly good or godly people. My wife Taylor and I were involved in ministry, and for the better portion of our lives, that's what we've done and we've dedicated our lives to. And I've heard people say that it's not fair that this happened to us. It's not fair that someone who loves the Lord, someone who serves in church and is generous and, and, and loves kids, someone specifically like my wife who gives her life to seeing kids come to Jesus would lose a child. This seems so wrong. And when these horrific events happened, it left people asking that exact question. Why do bad things happen to good people? 
What happens next to us is what happened exactly to Job. People start asking that question. Well, maybe it's because we had sin in our lives. And not to say that we didn't because we all fall short of the glory of God. But then people see us and think, well, they're pretty good people, so maybe it's not that they don't have sin. So you know what's causing this. Bad things happen to good people because God doesn't care, because God is an unjust God. And church, hear me out. That is the biggest lie that Satan would like you to believe during a time of loss, is that God doesn't care. That's simply just not the case. Satan, the enemy, he's the one who comes to kill, to steal, and destroy, and he wants nothing more than for you to have division in your heart from God. And one way he can do that is during times of unimaginable loss. Times during the loss of a loved one, or, or you get breaking news that you lost a job and your financial security is at stake and you don't know what you're going to do. Or you get the diagnosis of the terminal illness. The doctor says that word cancer. You have a chronic pain or injury that's been bugging you for a long time and you just think, does God not care? And the issue here isn't that God is a good or bad God because God is a God who loves you and he wants to provide for you and he wants to give you life. Satan is the one who comes to do you harm. So you ask why God allows this sort of thing to happen. And, and we ask ourselves that, is this is happening? Why is this happening? Was it something we did? Was it something that, that God is doing to us? We try to figure this out. So let's look back at Job. and We're going to look at verse 6. And until this week, I never realized what this verse meant. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. So the angels, the heavenly court, are going before God. And Satan, Satan also came among them. So the Lord says to Satan, from where do you come? Like, what are you doing here? You don't have the right to be in front of me. And he asked Satan, where do you come? And God obviously knows. But Satan, being in the presence of the God, has to tell him the truth. And he says, from going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. So what does that mean? Because this New King James text can get kind of confusing at times. So we know that Satan is the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So Satan is going around on the earth looking for someone to attack. He's looking for his next victim. And then God says this, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Satan goes on to say that Job is that way because God has given him good reason. So Satan tries to get God to take it away. In the next part of the passage, it doesn't say that God took these things from Job. It says he removed his protective covering and then Satan did the rest. In all this, Satan is trying to get one thing out of Job. He wants Job who is blameless, who God was essentially bragging on. Look at Job. He wants Job to curse the name of God, but he doesn't. So there's two things I want you to get out of this passage. God singled out Job. And look at why. Job was blameless and upright. It wasn't that Job did anything wrong. It wasn't that God is unjust or doesn't care about Job. But he knew that Job was able to carry the burden and he was able to carry the name of God with the utmost integrity and not curse the name of God. Have you considered my servant Job? When all this hardship was happening to us, when this loss was happening, and I'm, I'm holding my broken wife in my arms as we're crying with each other and hurting, as those around us are watching, and, 
and not knowing why this happened, we were able to stand strong and know that God wasn't punishing us. There was nothing that we did wrong that brought this on us. There was nothing that we could have done to prevent this. God looked Satan in the face. And he said, have you considered my servants, David and Taylor? That there are none like them. A blameless and upright couple. A couple who fears God and shuns evil. And when we thought about that, we, we felt so honored to know that God chose us. And even in the loss, we knew that God still cared about us. And I hope that like Job in the face of adversity, in the face of mourning, and in grieving, and in hardship, and loss, that I can stand strong like Job. And look Satan square in the eyes and say, the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. You give and take away. Lord, blessed be your name. I had to ask Phil to pull that one out of the archives. But through all that Taylor and I went through, those last verses in Job chapter 1 were constantly brought into my mind. What we just sang, God put on my heart. I had memorized those verses years back, and there's something about storing God's word in your heart that can change your perspective on things. I knew those verses from years prior, and at a time when I needed it, God reminded me of those verses that I had stored deep in my heart, and he pulled it out of the archives of my heart. Through everything we went through, we had the support of friends and family, but that in itself would not have been enough had I not had my Heavenly Father to support me, had I not had God, the Almighty Creator of the universe, to console me. You guys may be seated. A few days after we lost our child, I was driving home from work throughout the day, and I tried to shut my emotions down for the most part at the, at the workplace, and I tried to get through it without a pool of tears. And at the end of the day, as I'm driving home alone, God was able to speak to me as I was able to express my hurt. I was listening to that very song that we just sang, and I was singing it out loud in my work van on the way home. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I was fighting back tears, singing, Blessed be the name of the Lord, when an, a red SUV pulled out in front of me. And I looked down, and the license plate on the SUV says, Blessed. And I knew in that moment that God had not abandoned me. That God's in the details. God was watching me, and he was protecting my heart. And not five minutes later, as I'm driving home, I get another reminder of God's goodness. 
I'm driving home, and a, a red van pulls out in front of me. And I look up, and it's one of my best friends, Mark. Mark, a month prior, had shared a similar loss to what Taylor and I did. And I knew in that moment that God was saying, I've got you. You might think you're alone. You might think that you're the only one hurting. But I'm going to hold you in my arms. And in time, it's all going to be all right. I called Mark and told him that story, and we were able to talk for a while. And, and talking with someone who had been there so recently, someone who loved me so dearly, being able to talk to someone in that moment meant so much. It was just such a reminder of God's greatness. I mentioned earlier that Job's friends were pointing fingers throughout the book of Job, and uh, I, I would have read through those chapters, but it is literally just a lot of blame game going on. They're saying it's his fault. They're saying it's God's fault. Well, at the end of the book, God tells Job's three friends that he's angry with them. He's not angry with Job. He's angry with them because they haven't spoken righteously of God. So they're instructed to bring seven rams and seven bulls and offer them as a burnt offering before, before God. And then Job is instructed to pray for his friends that God would forgive them of their foolishness. So Job, the one who's torn down, who's lost everything, who you would think needs the prayer, was the only one in that group who was right with God. And God would not accept the prayers from them because they had sinned against God. Job had to go before the throne on their behalf and ask for forgiveness from God for them. Here's the best part, though. The story doesn't end there, and neither does mine. When you're a believer, the loss that you can experience doesn't end at the time of the loss. I believe that the first thing my sweet baby Asher saw when he opened his eyes was the perfect face of Jesus. I believe that Grandma Zook is up there holding our baby. And as much as it hurts, I know that she's going to be with him and he is going to be with Jesus in the throne room of God until one day when we can be reunited. The story doesn't end where it seems to end because we can look towards eternity. And that doesn't necessarily mean it won't hurt. And it doesn't mean at times we will think that it's, it's fair because it feels unfair. But the story doesn't end there. And we need to praise God for that. Job's story didn't end there either. The story goes on to say that the Lord restored Job's losses. He had seven more sons and three more daughters which is the same number that he lost in the previous chapters. And his possessions were all restored to double of what they were. Job lived to see four generations of his children and grandchildren, the Bible tells us. It tells us that he lived a full life until he died of an old age. He lived a full life. Job's story didn't end there. Please pray with me. God, thank you for Job and the example that he is. 
Thank you for the story and what it can teach us, God. Thank you that in my imperfections and in my, inshort, in my shortcomings, God, that you still love me to consider me as your faithful and blameless child. Church, keep your eyes closed for a moment more. I'd like to take a moment to ask if anybody here can relate to Job. Perhaps you're in a time of unfathomable loss. Perhaps you've gone through something that you can't explain or can't understand, and maybe you need healing from a loss or physical ailment. Maybe you've been given the diagnosis that you don't know why, and you're scared and you don't know what to think. If there's anyone in here who would like prayer, I ask that you simply put your hand up. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front of the room. Just put your hand up and know that even if you didn't put your hand up, God knows. But you putting your hand up is for you. It's a sign of surrender. It's a sign that you acknowledge that you need God. Thank you. Thank you for putting your hands up. Thank you for acknowledging that we need God. And God sees that. Gracious Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray for healing. And Lord, I pray that as we wait for healing, because we know that all healing doesn't come in the time that we would like, God. God, thank you that you see the bigger picture and that you know what is going on. You know the whole picture. And even though something can seem so big to us, God, to you it's just a small part of the story. And God, I pray that you give us patience and understanding to know, God, that while we wait, that you have a perfect plan for us. God, I pray for physical and emotional healing. God, I pray for addictions being broken. God, I pray for suffering. God, I pray that you'd help us understand that just because things aren't going like we think they should and that our prayers aren't answered in the time that we'd like, God, or that our prayers aren't answered in the way that we think they should be. And we don't always see how you answer our prayers, God. God, help us understand that you in your perfection have a plan that we may not understand. And God, as hard as it may be, help that to be enough for us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.